so you're injecting E. coli treated with CRISPR to change your DNA? Yeah, basically the E. coli has within it a plasmid, which is what I extract later and then inject into myself. This has a myostatin inhibitor in it that will make you super muscly. So it's sort of like Spider-Man getting bitten by the spider or something, having right. super strength. Yeah. This is Sound of Mind, a podcast about strange journeys. Wow. Are you worried at all? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> what are you worried about? Having a reaction to a foreign protein. The odds are very slim. It's probably an irrational fear. But I'm just a little nervous, you know. Also, I'm messing with my genes, and it's kind of a new experience for me. Rich Lee is a mutant and a cyborg. For the last 10 years, he's been putting experimental technology into his body. He and others call it biohacking. Every morning I wake up and I say, fuck the FDA. Or I say, fuck the USDA. Or fuck the medical system. Because I got a bill from them for some bullshit that I probably could have done myself. Rich has been in and out of court trying to get more time with his kids and a better custody arrangement. In court, his ex-wife said he was mentally unstable and immoral. She took me to court to take the kids away from me forever. So that basically what I was doing was an act of self-mutilation. She told the court he'd rejected religious morality. Rich had actually grown up Mormon, the oldest of seven kids. And as he tells it, throughout his childhood, he was a good Mormon. Zealous, even. His religion promised him that after the coming apocalypse, he'd have eternal life and godlike powers. And he couldn't have been more excited for the world to be set on fire. But something happened in his early 20s, and he lost his faith. He was confronted with a new reality. He wouldn't become a god. Wouldn't even have an afterlife. So, facing certain death, he turned to science to fulfil the promises that religion had made immortality and godlike powers. And for years it actually went really well. He was making the money he figured he'd need and reading about breakthroughs and life extension and artificial intelligence. Until almost overnight, he lost everything. And that's when he realised something. Science doesn't make promises. And his former religion? Well, it wasn't done with him yet. Cyborgs and mutants used to only exist in science fiction. Now they're here, and it's likely they'll become much more common. They might be the world's newest minority group. The way we treat them now could unfurl a chain of events with echoes for decades, centuries, maybe millennia. And a case like Rich's could be a catalyst. Until me, nobody had really said, modifying yourself, does that make you an unfit parent? Do non-humans get human rights? <laughs> I don't know. Court cases, discrimination, even hate crimes. These things are already happening. Now. Today. Okay, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to Rich. Most people call me grinder. Grinding is just where you're playing levels over and over and over and just leveling up your character and doing completely boring and repetitive things until... Your character's improved. So I was okay with saying, okay, I'm a grinder. 
we are a minority and we have a lot of opposition. I sort of feel like I'm fighting against something. What does that feel like? Well, it's really a familiar feeling to me. I'm kind of used to being in that situation, to be honest. Having the belief system that I have, like in my community, I'm already on the outside. And I don't mind being on the outside. When is your earliest memory of thinking you'd live forever? I guess for the majority of my early life, I felt like I was going to live forever. Mormons are different than normal Christians. They have this belief that when you die, you still have a physical body. And if you are good enough, then you too can become a god yourself and go on to make worlds without end and be god to mortals. Ever since I was a kid, I was taught that within my lifetime, I'd see the coming of Christ. It could happen any day. And so honestly, that had a profound impact on my life because I didn't really have very good long-term planning. Everything was kind of eclipsed by this apocalypse that was going to happen. You know, I kind of slacked off in school. I didn't really think much about my future because why would you? So many other things are just trivial when you think you're going to die before you die of old age. And you think about the afterlife and an eternity there. I mean, nothing matters here on this earth. It sounds to me like you were a pretty kind of intense kid in a way. Like, were other people around you thinking in similar ways? Or did you look at them and think, why aren't you guys planning for this or panicking? Yeah, I did look at them and say, you know, you have the same belief system that I do. Why aren't you taking this seriously? For me, this was a very real event that was going to happen. And so things like planning for a future, putting money into a savings account, it seems like such a bad idea. How did that make you feel? Did it make you cynical? Did you, When you thought about it, were you hopeless? How did, how did you feel? For most of my life, I felt an anticipation for it, and I, I wanted it to happen. When I was a 13-year-old kid thinking, wow, life is really miserable. I just can't wait till it ends. I can't wait to die, basically, <laughs> because the rewards in the afterlife are going to be so much better. It's really sick now that I'm verbalizing it. So I liked watching shows like The Jetsons and reading comic books about heroes all through my teens and into adulthood. You know, I was reading magazines and looking at the science and technology stuff. There's all these futurists making predictions about being able to go to the moon and having lifespans that were going to be indefinite that I got really excited about. I thought, you know, this is really awesome, but I don't think that this is actually going to happen because by the time they figure this all out, God will have returned and, you know, who cares? I just didn't see it as anything other than a fantasy. Was there anything in popular culture and cartoons or comics that you kind of now look back to and say, oh, yeah, I was really influenced by, like, Inspector Gadget or, like, the $6 million man. Or I was a big fan of the X-Men series. As a kid, I liked Wolverine a lot, but he's probably not my favorite now. Who's your favorite now? Magneto is one of my favorites, and he's a villain, but he's a good villain. He's got reasoning behind what he's doing. He doesn't want mutants to cower. He wants to let 
everyone show themselves off publicly and be out of the closet about their mutant identity. Do I think that it requires world domination? No. <laughs> I'm a bit hesitant to draw this parallel, but he's kind of like the Malcolm X of the mutant world in a way. He's getting people to stand up for themselves and uh, fight back. Yeah. I think that that's a great parallel, actually. The war is still coming, Charles, and I intend to fight it. By any means necessary. There's a big-time civil rights narrative going on in X-Men. Where you live now, do you feel judged? Yeah, oh, definitely. I'm definitely a black sheep in my community. Wow, I don't even know where to start with the culture. It's so strange. I live in a town that has two bars, and somebody tried to open up a nightclub, broke ground on it. The city basically came back and said, you know what, you can't go through with this. It's going to violate zoning. When they asked why, the mayor said, well, dancing leads to promiscuity. (laughs) Straight out of Footloose. The main denomination here where I live is Mormon. They had a big debate about running public transportation on Sundays. There is an active role that government takes in (laughs) being like a morality squad and making sure that nobody has premarital sex, drinks too much, or parties or anything. Religion in the state of Utah is in all politics. It influences state politics like crazy, and it skews all the culture. I think most of them believe that an apocalypse is going to occur within their lifetime. So much conformity just really bothers me. Something really sick about it. Why do you continue to live in that community? (laughs) My therapist is actually encouraging me just to move. But I I have my kids who still live here, and I have limited visitation with them, but the amount of visitation that I do have with them is very precious to me. So um, for the time being, I'm I'm here. I've just recently become a dad. For me, it's just a very intensely emotional experience. I've never experienced anything like it, really. What was it like for you? It was definitely a game-changer for me. The gravity of parenthood, it does change you. And it's something that I loved. And when your kids get older, it gets even better, you know, when you can start having conversations with them. And they ask you the most simple and profound questions. And you have to explain it. And it just gives even more perspective to your own life. My son is, uh, ever since he was a little kid, I'd, I'd come in the room. And instead of watching cartoons, he's watching documentaries. He forms his own very rational opinions on things, and I don't know. I just love him for that. I think that's great. He's not tainted by me, (laughs) in my opinions, you know. My daughter is brilliant. She does these different tech camps, you know, for girls, soldering things or, or programming. And she's just a natural, you know. She sits down with it, and she'll program robots to do a, a certain course or program characters in a game. But she's also very social. We'll walk through the store. She'll see people from her school, and they'll say hi to her. And then she remembers everyone's name. We like checking out dank memes, man. That's the thing. They'll come to me and they say, show me your dank memes. Like, show me some funny memes, basically. Oh, they love memes and YouTube videos. (laughs) Anyway. 
about a year after our divorce, I had some uh, shin armor implants. I had a doctor's appointment. I asked my ex to take the kids for a few hours. I got back and she was supposed to return them at a certain time and they still weren't home. And so I was calling her, texting her, and she just wouldn't reply to anything. And then eventually, I'm sorry, Rich, the kids are staying with me. You're never going to have them overnight again. I said, bring them back or I'm going to call the cops. And she said, no, forget about it. So I, I called the police. My wife got my kids involved in therapy. The therapist was basically told that I was self-mutilating in order to become a more perfect being. Today is Friday, September the 1st, 2017. We're here in the matter of Lee versus Lee. She took me to court to take the kids away from me forever. Did your legal counsel rely on any legal precedents regarding biohacking or anything like that? No, because there is none. I found some case law for him to cite, but it involved a transgender person. And then my attorney looked at it and he says, I'm not showing this to the judge. I mean, this is a conservative Mormon judge. My family moved around a lot. I went to five different high schools by the time I hit 11th grade. I just moved to this new school. You know, I was really behind. I didn't understand what was going on. We went to a new church and I wasn't making any friends. I hated it there. So I moved in with some friends and would smoke pot and drink all the time. I stopped going to church completely. I was just going to continue to live in sin and have these desires that I couldn't, as a teenager, you know, control. I was just racked with guilt because I was just living a wicked lifestyle, you know? <laughs> Which, looking back, it was totally mild, totally normal teenager stuff. He was living with a friend's family in his old town and got a job washing dishes during the graveyard shift. Then his friend's mom caught them smoking pot. She basically said that it's time for you to go home. And then I just thought, wow, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for all the things that I've done. And then I'm going to be back in that shitty school. So I just snuck out. She was busy yelling at her kids. You're getting drunk, smoking pot. You're bringing other kids. So I uh, packed up all my stuff into the back of my little tiny pickup truck. She didn't even notice. And then I got in the car and took off, went to work that night, and then just started sleeping in the back of the truck. He slept in his $200 truck for a month or two. One night, Rich finished work, he came back, and his truck was gone, along with everything he owned. And I was just devastated. I thought somebody stole it. But it turned out that my dad had an extra key. and My dad just said, hey, you're coming home. I was just convinced that I was going to go to hell. God's going to return, light the world on fire, the righteous will be taken up, and, you know, the wicked will be burnt. At that point, I didn't want it to happen, of course. I thought, I really hope that he doesn't come tomorrow. When do you feel like you lost faith in religion? For me, that was a gradual process. I really started to think, okay, maybe the Mormon religion isn't true, and maybe there's other religions out there that are. And I started investigating other religions, and like Buddhism and witchcraft, all kinds of different things. After uh, taking a certain drug, I just realized, you know what, this is all bullshit. God was just a chemical in my brain. That part of my brain 
could be shut off with certain types of drugs. So I lost religion and I became an atheist when I was in my uh, early 20s. I was going to live eternally in heaven or in hell. <laughs> I'd have an eternal life. That's something that I wanted, not to just live for 30 years or whatever, then die. And so I felt really cheated. So naturally, I just fell back into futurism, looking at things like the Jetsons and reading about the latest and greatest and medical advances. Science was my replacement for God at this point. I think science is the answer. Someday they're going to make some elixir that's going to let you live forever, and people will just take it, and that's it. But what if it's really expensive? Maybe I should devote my life to really saving up a lot of money so that when it does become available, I'll be able to afford it. By now, he was married, and his wife was less enthusiastic. She was just kind of dismissive about it and thought, you know, whatever. Sure, if you want to live forever, great. But she wasn't herself on board with living forever. To her, that was a little bit crazy. How much money were you I, thinking that you might need? I figured I'd need a few million, to be honest. So my, my goal was to hit five million. Wow. I figured I could live comfortably off the interest rates. Every morning at 5 a.m., I was into the stock market and just speculating. And I did pretty good. Uh, I didn't have any home runs. My father came to me and he said, if you want to go open up a office for this company, importing supplements into China, you can make a lot of money. And I ended up being out there for about two years. Our daughter was born and I moved back home, took what I had earned and went into the real estate markets. I found properties that were like in lousy neighborhoods that people had just neglected. And you could pick these things up for like $8,000, $10,000. And so I started buying all these properties and rehabbing them. So then I ran across the largest private property owner in the county, trying to liquidate his portfolio of 156 units in something like 90 different properties. To get his big break, Rich needed money to pay the deposit. So he borrowed against the houses he already had, or rather, he borrowed against what the houses would be worth when he finished renovating them. I put all my money into rehabbing the properties that I did have, and I applied for a loan using the equity that I had in those properties as a down payment on this bigger project so that I could get this bigger piece of the pie. That was my big dream. But I had this perfect storm of awful things that occurred. First, I got a phone call from the people that were giving me the loan. Hey, we haven't heard from your attorney, and tomorrow we're closing. So I'm trying to get a hold of him, can't do it. I, I, I'm freaking out. I had an uncle that was committing to some money. He ended up backing out. But <laughs> the bigger thing is my contractor hadn't done a damn thing. I gave him 50% down. I hear he went to Puerto Rico. At this point, I'm completely screwed. And then the real estate market's tanked. And so I'm wiped out. I went one day from being set for life to uh, having nothing. All my savings from Hong Kong and China were just wiped out. I could have afforded life extension therapies and things like that. But the world's just going to pass me up now. 
with no money and a wife that like doesn't want me to take any risk whatsoever, wow, well, what do I do? I don't see any way out. I thought my future was done for. I felt horrible. And I just went and got a job and just started the daily grind. It was around that time that my grandmother died. She was a really tough woman. She had been through a lot. She wasn't the type to let you cry too much or let you wallow in misery. She'd she'd kind of get mad at you and say, come on, there's no use in crying about it. Get over it and let's get back to work. She was kind of a hoarder. She had all these tubs, plastic tubs full of magazines that she had saved. And these things spanned like the 1940s through the 1990s. I open these up and I just start flipping through and just laughing hysterically at all the funny articles. And then just out of instinct, I'm flipping into like the science sections and seeing them talk about uh, artificial heart, you know, and all these different medical advances that were being made. There's an article that's saying humans will have a 200 year lifespan by the year 1999. You'll be taking family vacations on the moon in the year 2000. The more I read these things, the more I realized I've been putting a lot of faith in science. And that's something that nobody should ever do. Science doesn't require faith, and people should be putting faith in science. It was kind of frightening because basically everything that they were saying in those articles then, they're saying the same thing in the articles now, and they've just adjusted the dates. Yeah, yeah right. Which is, I guess, what religions do as well, isn't it? With the Right, right. Armageddon. So basically, I looked at it and I said, you know what, I'm no better off just passively waiting for the future to happen than waiting for the second coming of Christ and the apocalypse. I'm putting faith in something that I have zero control over. And so I panicked because I thought, wow, all these people who read this magazine back in 1952 and thought if they could just hold out till 1999, they would have a 200-year lifespan. All those people are dead. If there was some medical intervention that became available, what are the chances, A, that I could afford it, or B, that it would even be approved within my lifetime with all the red tape? And cybernetic enhancements. There's no companies out there that were making these cybernetic enhancements for people who wanted elective surgery to become cyborgs. The legal liability involved in these things is just astronomical. If I wanted any of these dreams to come true, I was just going to have to do it myself. Every year there's a film festival in the middle of nowhere, Utah. The year that I went out, the theme was like Tokyo uh, monster movies. They have these small celebrities, B-list or just strange people. So one of these people, her name was Poppy, a foreigner. She's come to the U.S. to go to college. And she gets tonsillitis. She needs an operation, but she can't afford it. She doesn't know what to do, so she goes and she starts researching everything that she's got to do to remove her own tonsils. She's got a mirror, a scalpel, I'm assuming some kind of a lidocaine or bottle of whiskey or something. And she does it. She removes her own tonsils. She seals up the wounds, cauterizes them, does everything herself. Everyone was saying, wow, you know, this lady's crazy. Me, I'm just thinking, wow, here's somebody who's not a doctor. We went out and researched all these things. 
and did it. And not only that, but many doctors had examined her and complimented her on what an exquisite job she had done. I remember meeting Poppy and just thinking, wow, this is one of the coolest people I've ever met. Rich found out about grinding online. In the biohacking community, grinders are the do-it-yourself punks. They don't wait for anything to be approved. They experiment by implanting things right into their bodies. As soon as I found out about the finger magnet thing, I booked an appointment and drove eight hours to go get one installed. I couldn't help but notice the kind of parallel between like your favorite character in X-Men being Magneto and then your first operation being a magnet in your own hand. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) You think that was related? Possibly. I thought that was an amazing power. I mean, I can pick bottle caps up and paper clips, things like that. But that's, that's about the extent of it. He also had an NFC chip in his hand, which can be used like a key to wirelessly unlock doors, start a car, or be used instead of a password for phones, computers, or other devices. A biotherm chip in his forearm keeps track of his temperature and stores information like a sort of wireless thumb drive. He's also working on a vibrating penis called the Lovetron 9000. But Rich's signature implants, the ones he's most famous for, are the wireless headphones in his ears. They're actually imperceptibly implanted in the part of his ears called the tragus, the pointy bits in front of the ear holes. These headphone implants can pair to different audio devices, music, phone calls, hearing heat from a distance, hear through walls, listen to my wife's heartbeat. I've hooked it up to a Geiger counter and listen to radiation, and I've hooked it up to metal detectors. I had hooked up some contact microphones down by my ankle, and I was just out walking, and I, I just heard a booming, like, really heavy footsteps, and I kept looking behind me to see who was sneaking up on me. Eventually, quite a ways down the road, I see this woman, she's just jogging, and each of her footsteps sounded like thunder. Basically, nobody could sneak up on me. So you guys had kids. What do they think about biohacking? They used to think it was the coolest thing in the world. I'd go to school and they'd bring their friends. Hey, come check out my cyborg dad. I do little party tricks where I just say, hey, I'm going to put my finger in your ear. Don't freak out. (laughs) And they'll be able to hear the audio too. Cool. Rich already had a magnet in his finger. All he needed to turn that magnet into a speaker was a coil, a wound-up bit of wire that looks kind of like a spring. So he implanted a coil behind the magnet, and voila, his finger was a speaker. It picked up the radio waves coming out of his earphone implants. And it's surprisingly clear. It's such a weird thing. It's one of those things you kind of have to just experience. In 2015, Rich and his wife got divorced. We had been together a total of 17 years. She basically got... Uh, together with her high school boyfriend. So, like, left me for him. Your whole world changes. And when you have kids involved, too, it's not... It's not just two people splitting up. You've got a whole family to think of. How am I going to break them the news? And that was a horrible time in my life. After the divorce, Rich and his ex-wife shared custody of the kids, a rotating schedule of one week with each parent. About a year after our divorce, I had this implant procedure on my shins. My ex-wife saw this video online that I had posted of it, 
and she became triggered, basically. Why do you think she saw the shin procedure as different to your other procedures? The thing I think that triggered her was seeing the amount of pain that I went through, which was considerable. It was pretty agonizing. But uh, <laughs> it's something I really wanted done. So I got tough and I just bore it. I think she was kind of shocked by that. The other procedures, she didn't see. My kids never saw the YouTube video. They've never seen any kind of procedure or anything like that. They saw the stitches that were on my legs and some bandages. Kind of went, ew, gross. And then that was it. My wife basically went into the therapist and said, this is what their dad's doing. Putting metal in my body and trying to transform myself into some divine being or something. The kid's perspective of their dad was just radically changed. It went from their dad being a guy who had cool, weird powers that you would introduce your friends to, to dad's got this problem we don't really like to talk about, but it's potentially traumatizing. I'm not somebody who self-mutilates. I don't self-harm. I'm not biohacking to cope or deal with any kind of an emotional situation. I'm also not a masochist. I don't derive joy from inflicting pain on myself. It's just something that is part of the process and just go with it because that's what has to be done and in the end it's worth it. It's like a tattoo. For the first 20 odd years of his life, Rich had been preparing for judgment as a Mormon. Now he found himself standing trial as a cyborg and it wasn't looking good for him. Were you worried about potentially setting a precedent regarding biohacking? Well, it's something I actually wanted to do. I don't want somebody to be in my position again. Rich felt that if he didn't set a precedent in this case, it could demote biohackers to second-class citizens. But with no legal precedent and very little money, he was struggling. He set up a fundraising page online and managed to raise about $8,000, mostly from the biohacking community. He used the money to fly in two experts on biohacking. To testify that the things that I was doing were not crazy and that other people are doing similar things and that these are like pursuits of science and discovery. The majority of my legal fight was based around biohacking. The judge told us on our second day of court. Biohacking? I don't find that uh, troubling. The biohacking? I don't find that troubling. Let's skip all this talk about biohacking. I'm sick of hearing about biohacking. I have uh, two screws in my ankle and leg because of a motorcycle accident, cornea transplants in both eyes. Frankly, that really wasn't an issue to me. He says... I don't think it's that bad. Hmm. Do you think that that might have set a legal precedent? Well, almost, because then he went on to say, like, what the respondent does or doesn't do with his body is not an issue in this case, unless it affects the children negatively. And on a whole, I find that it hasn't and it doesn't. And in fact, they were kind of proud of that their dad had some things that made him kind of cool. The judge's final words on it were kind of unrewarding, too. He just said, biohacking, it wasn't a part of my consideration in my decision. It seems to me it was a good thing for biohackers in the future because he's saying it's not a threat to the children. Yeah, in a way. Do you feel good about that? I think what he said was the attorneys didn't do an adequate job of showing that it was a harm or that it was safe to the children. I feel kind of cheated in this, too, because I don't think that it was said in such a way that it's going to help people out. But, I mean, I could be wrong. 
I guess it didn't set a damaging precedent. Right. Were you worried about that at any point? Oh, absolutely. I am 100% positive that if I didn't have my expert witnesses there, it would have been a disaster for transhumanism and biohacking. So we did a good job of defending the cause. I've also found evidence that he's a good dad. He loves his kids. He wants if historians ever write books documenting the cyborg civil rights movement, Rich's case might be remembered as the first to go to court. But it wouldn't be the last. Recently in Australia, Meow Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow successfully appealed the conviction brought by the state government of New South Wales for implanting a chip extracted from a public transport pass. Back in 2012, Steve Mann might have been the first victim of a cyborg hate crime when he was assaulted by employees at a McDonald's for wearing an augmented reality headset implant, sort of a precursor to Google Glass. After Rich had his two days in court, he felt he was the victim of a more traditional brand of discrimination. These closing arguments, the opposition said, Rich is an atheist, therefore he doesn't have a moral compass. I thought maybe Rich was exaggerating here, but it's true. The exact quote was, Richard has openly rejected not only the idea of personal morality, but the very religious tradition upon which Western morality is based. He insisted that the children be raised in an atheistic environment. He has openly stated his contempt for religion. The factors that a court needs to look at is the past conduct and demonstrated moral standards of the parties. Everybody knows that people in positions of power here are Mormon for the most part. Much was made about the respondents' alleged atheistic lifestyle and that somehow that would not be beneficial to the children. They're closing statements that I was an atheist and therefore had no moral compass is so insulting, but the courts totally fell for it. I don't know that either party can take a high moral ground. At least the petitioner stated that she would like to give her kids the chance to accept or reject religion. You wouldn't allow the kids or your wife to go to church during the marriage. And while this court can't take any position on religion, at least petitioner would like to give the kids a chance and a choice. I'm not sure that a respondent would be willing to do that. My kids have been raised atheists, and so of course I'm objecting to that. Simply because I put on a robe and I sit higher than you, that doesn't make me infallible. These kind of decisions for custody are hard. I believe and find that it is in the kid's best interest to have mom be the primary custodial parent. After the weekend, I want a new arrangement to start. Thank you, Art. All right, we're in recess. And listen, religion wasn't the only factor in the judge's decision, but it did hurt Rich's case. Like a shin implant rejected by its subcutaneous tissue, he'd been cast out. Again. And it left him with even less trust in the institutions around him. What drives you now 
what are your goals at the moment in your life? Right now is a tough time because I've lost my kids. I'm still in court battles trying to negotiate what I'm allowed to do as a dad. My kids are in therapy. I don't get to see them that much. Now I've got roommates. I'm single. I'm still at a day job. I'm just barely making ends meet. I've got this child support burden, which I'm happy to pay. Don't get me wrong. It's just more than I was spending when I actually had the kids in my custody. So life is really kind of lousy. I have all these projects I want to do. I want implants that detect other devices around me. I want gene modifications for solar power skin. I want infrared vision. I want ultraviolet vision. I want to be able to fix my damn color blindness, muscles that don't deteriorate. I want a longer lifespan. But, you know, it's hard to get investors for these things. I still want to be a cyborg and a mutant. So what drives me now is kind of revenge. Every morning I wake up and I say, fuck the FDA. Or I say, fuck the USDA. Or fuck the medical system. Because I got a bill from them for some bullshit that I probably could have done myself. Or fuck the orthodontist that I pay for my kids' braces. Honestly, I'm driven by revenge. And not just revenge, but like I want to get all the things that I wanted in the first place. I want improved mitochondria. I want a digestive system that's more efficient and can digest a, a wider range of materials and get calories from it. Man, I want implants for hearing things at a distance. I want implants for, you know, my love life. I want implants for all kinds of things. I've got a ton. I've just got all these barriers, a constant set of hurdles, government regulation, financial restraints. I'm just pissed off, honestly. But I get up and I think, how am I going to figure out a way around this? Or am I? Or am I just going to do it and end up in jail? I don't know. Rich says the gene modification injection from the start of this episode did change his genes, but his body compensated for the changes. Now he's working on projects involving stem cells. A huge thanks to Rich for speaking with me for this episode. Thanks also to Sydney's 2SER for supporting this series, and thanks to Jason LeCuyer, Marilia Costa, and Rebecca Cleaver for their constructive feedback. If you want to get in touch, you can email soundofmindpodcast at gmail.com. Also, thanks to all of you who recommended this podcast to your social media followers and your friends. It's made a huge difference. I've really noticed the numbers bump up. The podcast is still starting out. So at this point, even just telling one person who goes on to tell someone else, etc., can make a huge difference down the track. So please casually drop this podcast into a conversation over the coming week. My name is Lawrence Bull, and you've been listening to Sound of Mind.